0: Pet Chat on to NURFM and joining me, Jane Klein, our pet vet, Dr. Emily Drayton and Danny Boss. Emily, we are talking birds and a very particular part of birds.
1: Yeah, today I wanted to talk about nutrition and mainly because a lot of the problems that we see with our captive birds is related to poor diet so we can get lots of um, medical but also behavioral issues because we're not feeding our birds the right things. Um, and when we say birds, I mean there's plenty of species out there that we do keep in captivity but probably the one that we keep most often as, as pets are our parrot birds. So I'm just going to aim the discussion today about parrots because I think that's most applicable to everyone out there who's listening today. Um, and I just wanted to talk about mainly seed-eating parrots. So um, we've got budgies. They're probably budgies and lovebirds. are the smallest parrots that we probably keep in captivity, ranging up to our bigger birds, so our cockatoos as well. Can, and, can I just ask what the difference is between lovebirds and budgerigars? Yeah, they are a, they are a different species. So we have budgerigar, and that's, um, they're a small parrot that's found more in um, Central Australia in the arid-type conditions, um, and it's a different species to a lovebird. Yeah, but they both they both like their seed. So um, the problem with seed is birds do need it, and it is a part is an important part of their diet. However, we tend to be feeding the wrong types of seeds. So seeds are very high in fat and oils. And given the choice, if we just let our birds eat whatever they wanted to eat, they would go straight for the really fatty seeds because they taste delicious. Um, but that's where we get our issues because they become very selective and picky and they choose only the fat, fatty seeds and end up you know, getting problems like obesity, um, liver disease. They can also develop feather picking problems and we can see all of this related to diets that are high in fatty seeds such as sunflower seeds. So today I wanted to talk about providing our birds with the widest variety of food that we can ensure that they're nice and healthy for the long term that we have them for.
0: So what kind of food should we be giving them?
1: Um, first of all, um, lots of fresh fruit and veggies. So depending on what, what species of bird you have depends on what proportion of their diet should be. So, for example, the eclectus parrot, they're... Um, you know, found up in northern Australia and they live up in the high canopy um, ranges and they have a really, a diet that's very high in fresh fruit. So when we're thinking about how we feed our eclectus parrots, we need to be giving them lots of fresh fruit and veggies whilst things like sprouted seeds um, and dry seeds should be a smaller proportion of their diet. Um, when we're looking at, you know, birds like budgies. Um,
2: With the eclectus parrot, family. Yep. What kind of veggies would you suggest? Well, just some examples. Yeah,
1: so examples of fruit. So, um, you know, things like berries, so strawberries, Mm. blueberries, raspberries, they're all fine to give. Um, Small amounts of apple and pear are good. Um, They can have a small amount of oranges, Um, as well as, you know, when we're looking at our veggies, um, they have a, birds have a particular um characteristic is they can't actually taste the hot things in peppers and mm. and chili so they're allowed to have things like capsicum and and peppers in small amounts yeah my
2: birds love love the hot chilies yeah yeah it's <laughs> okay, amazing
1: you think that they'd be screaming hot but they're not there <laughs> they actually really i like them walk in the
2: aviary after giving them the hot chilies the whole place smells on chilies.
1: <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: i should just say of course dandy boss boss is with us today as well and very interested in the nutrition of birds
1: yeah so um and you can, you know, give things like celeries, um, you know, your green veggies, your Asian greens, so your bok choys. I tend to steer clear of your cabbages or your lettuces simply because they can have um, um, components in them and enzymes in them which actually prevent the absorption of nutrients. So yeah. I tend to steer clear of the cabbages and, and, and in the cabbage family.
0: Yeah. Excellent. so that's for the eclectus parrot. yeah
1: yeah and then so you've got your other birds so your um you know if we're looking at our bigger birds are so our cockatoos um and our galahs which are commonly kept and these are birds that we commonly see that just love sunflower seeds and and you know with all good intention owners feed them lots of sunflower seeds and they think they're doing the right thing and we find out later on that they've got problems because of that so Aim early on in life when you get your bird to get them onto a good diet straight away.
0: So sunflower seeds, are they fairly high in fat then? Yeah,
1: yeah a lot of their um, component is lipid, which is a fat, you know, what kind of
2: uh, other food would you recommend for um, your coca- uh, cockatoos? Yeah, so galas, we're very yeah. we're
1: very lucky that we now have a commercially available pellet um, which is completely balanced nutrition for them, um, and it's quite easy to, to feed them. So you you don't have to worry that if you know you're getting enough of the vitamins and minerals because there are a couple of good products out there now that are safe to use as a basis of a diet from which we can you know put. E- additional fruit and veggies, and mix with those pellets. So there's a couple of products out there. Dr. Max is one that we use at the clinic and recommend using, um, and it's um, quite good. It's balanced nutrition for your larger parrots, um, and in addition to that, a wide variety of fruit and vegetables.
0: And what about fruit and veg? Oh, well yes, yeah, say fruit yeah. and vegetables. So strawberries and those things. Yeah, as Yeah. Well.
1: So with um, probably with your your smaller birds, so your your budgies, but also your cockatoos, I try to have more of a, a vegetable base rather than a, a than a fruit. Base. so if you can if you can aim to have more of your green leafy veggies that's good for them mm. um, and probably a smaller proportion should be your your fresh fruit and veggies so yeah.
0: you're listening to pet what? oh Shall we so, take your sorry. question in I just did a have moment? A question. Let's have it now. <laughs> I, I
2: just I do find this topic interesting yeah. and fascinating, and it is an issue where we're used to just feeding seeds to our birds, but and as you say, sunflower seed especially, and it's very high in fat. It's not necessarily the best, and the, the pelletized foods that you can buy now, which a lot of them, Jane, are designed uh, and made by vets or companies that are run by vets. Um, VetaFarm is one of those Australian companies that's run by vet, and they make pelletized food as well. I have found though, it's not easy to um, convert your bird from a seed mix to a pellet mix, even though it's better for them nutritionally and for a longer life. Do you have any suggestions on how to do that?
1: Yeah. So that's why we say get in early. So if you've got a new bird and you've just started with diet, then aim to get the pellets in prior to offering any seed at all. Um, But if you have had a bird that's been on seed for a long time, then you need to convert them to the pelleted diets, and there is a couple of ways of doing that. So some birds can be really stubborn in in terms of you know switching over to a food. So my advice is you need to do it carefully, and you need to monitor how much they are eating, because um, you can just put the pellets in there; they don't recognise that it is food, and they cannot eat anything for a few days, and you know they drop off condition and they f- start to feel sick. So you need to be watching them quite carefully when we're doing conversion. Um, so you you know you add the pellet to their diet as well as a variety of fruit and vegetables and you give that as a source of food for the rest of the day and then you can do that for 3 days but if they aren't starting to eat after that you know that amount of time then you do have to give them the food that they are going to eat which is seed but over time you do have to introduce more of a pellet and decrease the amount of seed that you are giving them
0: mm. and you're listening to pet chat and Dr. Emily Drayton talking all about birds Danny Boss
2: um I actually I'm so happy that you came along today, Emily, and mm-hmm. talked about birds, because I, as the listeners would know from last week, have started hand-raising two baby lorikeets, yep. and um, I'm learning how to do it from scratch, and they're going well, they're putting on weight, the feathers are coming through, so it's really, really going well, and I'm very excited. I'm using the Vetafarm hand-rearing mix, and yep. making that up, adding a little bit of water, and then using a syringe yep. to feed them with it, and so they're, they're doing quite well in that regard. When will I know that they can start feeding themselves? What should I do to start transitioning?
1: Uh, how old are they now, Kenny? So,
2: well, at the moment they would be around the six weeks old. Yeah, so yeah.
1: around eight weeks is when they, you know, they're going to start looking to to be supplementing their their diet with additional food. So you probably you don't have time to be there with your syringe ready whenever they're hungry. So, yeah. um, you know, you continue to do your you know your normal feeding times but you can start to as they're getting as they're starting to eat by themselves you can start to reduce the the quantity that you are giving them um but you know you can you know provide ad-lib food for them which basically means that in their in their enclosure or their aviary however you're keeping them that they do have a source of food um available for them so um lorikeets are different to our other parrots in the fact that they're not They're not a bird that will readily take to a crumble and it's probably not advised that we do feed them any pellets simply because they have um, a different um, anatomy in the fact that their tongue has this... um, these little bristles or little brushes on their tongue because they are nectar eaters. And so that's designed to get into the native Australian flower to get the nectar out and extract that mm. as their main source of food. So they're different to our other parrots. and You know, other parrots would be eating on, on, on pods and seeds and nuts and things out in the wild and, and crushing and using their beak to do that. But lorikeets are different. Um, so there are wet foods available and you can make up your own type of wet foods and leave that um, in their cage so that, that when they are feeling a bit peckish, they can, you know, start to look for food themselves. Themselves. Yeah. Okay,
2: so give it another two weeks and I can start yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, okay. around the eight week. All end. right. Yeah. yeah, no, it's going well and I noticed, you know, I know when I fed them enough with their crop yeah, being the full, crop. so I have, yeah. a, I have that. I mean, they dribble a lot.
1: Yeah, they do, yeah.
2: <laughs> it's it all over my fingers yeah. and hands.
1: Another important thing when you are um, hand-rearing your birds is the temperature that they're kept in. So the crop is, um, and for the listeners out there, the crop is kind of the, it's a pocket in the esophagus or the stomach tube, which um, allows birds to store their food. So traditionally birds only eat, you know, twice a day, so in the morning and night, but they do have a really high energy requirement throughout the day because they're flying around and they're very active. So the way that they maintain, you know, a constant source of energy is to store that food into their crop but it's really important that that crop does empty appropriately because if that crop starts to fill up with food, they can get secondary infections and they can get quite sick from that. So a way that we make sure that the crop is going to be emptying appropriately is firstly, like you're doing Danny's, checking that it is emptying, um, after each feed and, you know, before you give them another feed is mm. to make sure there's no more food in there. But also keeping them at an appropriate temperature because the crop is very dependent on temperature. So if they're too cold, the crop won't empty properly. So um, at around the six weeks of age, you want to be keeping them up around 28 degrees, and that just helps to get that crop to empty appropriately.
2: That's some good points.
0: This is Pet Chat, and we're talking birds at the moment, but you could have a question about anything. And our pet vet, Dr. Emily Drayton, today will give you an opinion on what's happening with your pet. 49216216 to get your call in to us.
1: Um, So we've been talking about... A lot about what we're going to feed our birds at home, but I guess I also wanted to talk today about how we should be feeding our birds because when you think about what a bird is doing out in the wild, they're spending a good 90% of their time flying around, expending energy trying to find food to eat. And that keeps them, you know, really entertained and it keeps their mind active. But when we've got our birds in captivity and we've got them as pets at home, we give their food to them on a platter and we make it really easy for them to find food. And so they're not using up all that energy and they're not using up their brain and thinking about how they're going to get food. And as a result, we can see birds getting pretty bored at home because they've got not a lot to do for, you know, the, the 10 hours mm. that you're at work. Um, and so we need to think about ways that we can get our birds entertained. And one way of doing that is by feeding them in a particular way and that's feeding them in um, a way that encourages them to look for their food and to seek their food out and to think about how they're going to get that food. And one way we can do that is by feeding them in in toys. And there's certain toys that are you know advertised or, or used, and they're called foraging toys. And so foraging is the behaviour of actually looking for food. Um, and I think Danny, you've got some
2: Emily. It's a good point to make. Yeah, we've we've got them in the store, and you know they're they're coming different styles, different sizes for the different sized birds. And it is quite interesting when you try and, and look at it um, where you put the food, and then how the bird has got to work. Out where to how to get to the food yeah, and i think it's like a, it it? a bit like a yeah. puzzle um and i think and some of them i think wow that seems a bit hard <laughs> but
1: they're clever but they, they're they clever. get it straight away pretty much yeah.
2: but it does it is important as you say like they're alone maybe for eight or ten hours yep. whereas in the wild they would be out searching flying around searching for food different things are happening so it can get boring yep. is this why you also have problems where they start feather picking themselves yeah or? um
1: Feather picking or, or self mutilation yeah. um, is a common problem that we see, and it's, it's quite a complex problem. And it's not always one reason why it does occur, but certainly bored birds are more likely to start picking at themselves, and that's because they're not distracted, they're bored, their mind's not occupied, and they feel like they don't have anything else to do. So they they can start to to pick at their feathers, and Unfortunately, we do see a lot of medical conditions secondary to that, so they can get secondary infections of the skin. They can start to pull out their flight feathers and get infections of the, the feather follicles. Um, and it can be um, a very painful and often time you know, it takes a lot of time to get these birds right again. Um, and unfortunately, sometimes we can't fix them. So, mm. if we can help prevent those behaviors that, that lead to feather picking, um, by doing things, by encouraging foraging behavior, by, you know, doing really good training techniques with them, by keeping them entertained in other ways, we can, you know, save, potentially save the bird's life.
2: I guess it's in some cases easier to keep them entertained if they're a hand-raised bird as opposed to if they're an aviary bird. Yeah. So that's where the foraging toys are really handy for aviary birds as well, aren't they?
1: Yeah. um, It's it's a difficult situation because we find that there's kind of two types of birds out there when we're looking at, you know, pet birds. And, And there are the breeding type of birds. And breeding birds aren't necessarily very good pet birds. And that's because... When we, when we take a bird out of the wild and we try to, you know, introduce them to, ta- to captivity, we can't actually domesticate them. They're still going to have wild type tendencies mm. and birds are one of those special, you know, species that they're very difficult to, to train out or to breed out those tendencies to want to be a wild bird. Um, but in, in a way, by them maintaining those type of characteristics, they're more likely to, to, Breed with each other. And so when we take a bird away from their parent, and if we hand rear them, they become associated with us as being part of their flock. So they no longer see themselves as a bird, they see themselves as a human. (laughs) And they're looking for us for entertainment and they're looking for us for companionship and for, you know, a bit of socialisation. So that's when it becomes really important because out in the wild, you know, they're spending, you know, their whole time with their flock, but at home when you're not there, they feel like you've, they've, you've abandoned them. So. I
2: think um, I think birds are becoming more popular as pets too yeah. because they're just seen as something smaller than a dog or doesn't necessarily have to be taken out for walks and yeah, so forth, yeah. but they can be entertained in the house by yeah. the family.
1: Yeah, and they they certainly do make great family family companions too and and you know you can find birds and that get on really well with children and they really are an important part of the family and they do there's you know species of birds that do live for a very long time and we've seen birds come into the clinic that have been with generations of people in their <laughs> family so they're a real legacy to a family and a home
0: on to N U R F M at 14 to 1 you're listening to pet chat and dr emily drayton taking your calls on 49216216 and also taking danny boss's calls <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm,
2: I'm having the time of my life here learning a lot more about birds. Um, I do have another question for Emily. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, birds are becoming more popular as pets, especially hand raised birds. And as you said, when we hand raise them, they become, they think they're humans. Yeah. So we're yep. they're part of the flock. Um, uh, What's involved, though, is that birds can be quite smart. Um, Just because they're birds doesn't mean they're not as smart as as dogs, and we can't teach them tricks and different things that they can do. And in some cases, I know birds are even smarter than dogs. Can you um, give us some examples on some of the smarter birds?
1: Yeah, so um, with all the research that's been done, the reported most intelligent bird is the African grey parrot, um, and they've been shown to have the intellect equivalent to you know a three-year-old child in most cases but they've also been birds that have been shown to be you know have the equivalent mm. of children even older than that yeah. so if, if you think about the brain capacity of, of a toddler in the household you know they're very curious they're yes. always you know wanting to do stuff asking you know getting involved and and wanting to be around you know around you learning things so it's um it's a very important point that you do make about their intelligence and they're not an animal that we can just you know put in a cage and expect them to be happy you know they need to be mentally entertained and stimulated and and a great way of doing that is to actually get your bird out start handling start teaching you know tricks and and they're very they're very keen to learn and they're often you know they'll surprise you with you know how fast they can develop skills so there can be simple techniques of just getting them to kind of step up and step down off your hand and off perches and by doing that you can do that in cycles and you can teach them tricks just from your basic step up and step down so it can be a really great way of bonding with your bird as well um, as keeping them Entertained and trying to prevent those behaviours that we spoke about earlier, like the feather picking.
2: We've got a lorikeet in the store, and uh, he talks. Yeah. And uh, he'll you when you know he'll say to you when you come around. He say, "I love you." <laughs> he says that, and th- and then when he sees people waiting at the counter, he'll say, Are "You right there." <laughs> It's really good. His name's Laurie. So we have a bit of fun with him. But what about um, the mental capacity of uh, um, other birds like uh, Amazons or Macaws? Macaws are always fascinating.
1: Yeah, Macaws are a very beautiful, um, large parrot from um, South America. Mm. Um, And they're stunning to look at. But they can be difficult to keep in captivity and particularly, um, you know, as pets as well. And that's because, you know, first of all, they are such an intelligent bird. So they do take a lot of work and they are very intense birds. So um, they're probably not recommended for people that have never had a bird before. You you need to have experience with, you know, having a bird around you and in your house before you do get them a call. Um, But they demand a lot of your time too. And that's because they are a very social bird. So if you think about them out in the wild and the, the Huge flocks that they do have they have quite intense social interactions with each other so if you're a person who's got a busy lifestyle and who works you know a normal eight hour day or even more they're probably not going to be the bird for you because they want you at home for those eight hours when you're out making a bit of money so um when we think about you know birds and how intelligent they are and you know if you you are thinking about getting a bird you really have to think about your lifestyle and and your family's lifestyle and you know and how long you want to have this bird for, um, and how much time you can spend with them. So and if you've had a bird before. So if you're thinking about getting a bird first up, you might want to aim for maybe your smaller, more commonly kept birds, so your budgery guards and your cockatiels. And that's not to say they're not, you know, intelligent. They're still highly intelligent birds, but they're certainly, you know, they're less demanding of your time and they're probably easier to keep and if they do develop any, you know, behavioral issues if you get a bite from a budgie it's less severe than a bite from a macaw so. oh
2: yes a bite from a macaw that beak that
0: wouldn't be uh, nice no man. it wouldn't be nice <laughs> You're listening to Pet Chat on 2NURFM, and your call's still welcome. We've still got time, 49216216, if you'd like to put a question through to Emily and or Danny. Pet Chat, and we have a caller. Kev has rung in on 49216216. You've got a question for our vet, Dr. Emily.
3: Yeah, oh, oh, the main thing is, like, he's got the full run of the house.
0: He. This is he, uh, uh, your budgie?
3: budgie? Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so he gets... Plenty of exercise, I suppose you could say. But what the question is, why are they so fascinated with tissues?
1: <laughs> he, he, um, does he Does he eat the tissues or does he just... He eats them. Yep.
3: But he just loves playing with them.
1: Yeah. So sometimes we do see in birds, they become particularly focused on one object in the house. Yes. Um, and it can sometimes be a solid object or it can be something like a tissue. Yeah. Um, and and sometimes it can just be because they're not mentally stimulated in another way. So, have you tried any of the foraging toys um,
3: in the house? No, oh, the only, oh, in his cage, he's got rings and things, yep. you know, the usual stuff like that.
1: Yep.
0: He
3: spends a fair bit of time doing playing that, and then he gets bored, and then he come out and come and jump on my shoulder. He can spend ages on my shoulder. Yep. And um, now, oh, and also a, a pen. Like a wipe-out pen, you know the wipe-out pens you use for ink. Yeah, yeah. He loves that too.
1: Yeah, he just loves chewing at it, does he? Yeah,
3: he loves chewing at that. But the the tissues, it he, get cranky if you try to take them away. Oh, really?
1: <laughs> he sounds a little bit cheeky, doesn't he?
3: <laughs> oh, he's cheeky. You don't you worry about that.
1: Yeah.
3: but, that the main thing. but it's not going to harm him, is it? That was the main
1: reason. Was... Um, it tends to be quite digestible when consumed in small amounts, but I wouldn't want him eating a whole box of you know a hundred tissues. <laughs> 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 yeah. So, um, try and limit his access to them, and yeah. you know, keep him entertained by giving him other things to chew. So things like cuttlefish can be good to help entertain he's them.
3: Fish, he's got all that
1: stuff. Yeah, and you've he's got some he
3: about the cuttlefish. He doesn't.
1: No. No. He's,
3: he eats the grit, the shell grit. Yeah, stuff yeah. Like that,
1: but, hmm. yeah, some some birds will love it. Some birds won't be interested in it at all. Yeah. Um, but yeah, certainly you can try some of those toys just to keep him a bit entertained. Um, natural branches well, are a good one for about them.
3: It you were talking about them earlier, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, some mm-hmm. natural branches, they can be good to have a bit of a chew on, and sometimes raw bones as well, Can they can have a bit of a chew on that too, and that keeps them a bit more distracted. Yep. Um, but, yeah, like I said, limit the access to the tissues would be the best way to go. All right, then. Okay, can thanks, Kev. Can we
0: perhaps think about an alternative for him? Would that be...
1: Yeah, so oh, good, yeah. yeah, so having those toys that you can use to chew um, and yeah, the cuttlefish and that, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Sounds
2: okay. like Kev's budgie likes to do magic tricks. You know? yeah. <laughs> now you see it, now you don't <laughs> with the tissue.
0: indeed. <laughs> no, Danny, you've got something interesting to do with cats.
2: Yeah, well, talking about keeping uh, pets entertained so they're not bored, cats are one of those uh, pets who also need lots of stimulation. Yeah. There's a range of toys called uh, By cat It!, called senses and what they do is they appeal to the cat's sense of of uh, touch sight sound smell and taste because i believe cats um you know can see things better than what we can um they can hear the sounds a lot more than what we can as yeah. well so these toys are based uh, along um the lines of putting or stimulating all those senses yeah um would you agree to that the cats need yeah, of stimulation, um, Emily.
1: yeah well that when you think about you know how they've evolved they've come from you know high predator um species which are you know your big cats and and they do have a very keen sense of smell and sight and sound and we probably don't get to exercise those senses enough in when you know we have our domestic pets so they are um You know, stimulating those senses is great, but we've also got, you know, there's some cats that can get stressed out and things as well. And when we think they, we can also use um, pheromone therapy, Mm. um, which is another thing that can be you know, we don't get affected by it, but it might certainly be for a more sensitive creature like the cat, something that you can think about as well.
2: Well, these with this cat, it sensors toy range. It's got um, a massage center. It's got a scat- scratch pad center, a sensors play circuit, which has got like a tunnel and a ball that can be pushed around and, 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 pl- and played <laughs> through around the different uh, sensors. It's pretty unique. Actually, they, they look, they look like to, to do the job and look quite well. Mm.
0: Sounds quite astounding. <laughs> <laughs> the things that uh, we do for our animals and make their lives a, a better quality, I suppose. Plenty of that around.
2: Well, it is. That's right. And so based from. We've talked about what kind of toys they can play with and nutrition. How's that? Today has been good.
0: good. And birds aren't the best nutrition. Are they your pet birds for your cat, are they? (laughs) 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 And that's Pet Chat for today. Uh, Thanks to our pet vet, Dr. Emily Drayton and Danny Boss, and we'll have Pet Chat again next Wednesday after the midday news on 2NURFM.